Has your local footy club had a recent clangor or challenge? Well, Amy is here to help. The Amy Clangers for Good competition is back for 2024. This year, Amy are donating $10 for every clangor recorded during the AFL season with eight community clubs in the chance to win up to $15,000. If you want your club to go into the running in 100 words or less, tell us how Amy can help your club bounce back from a recent challenge. Enter now at amy.com.au forward slash clangers for good. That's amy.com.au forward slash clangers for good. T's and C's apply. Welcome back to Dylan Friends. This week on the show, one of the most interesting guests I reckon we've had in a very long time, if not of all time, Bo Miles. He is a star. Filmmaker, explorer, poly jobbist, doctor of philosophy, author, doer, and oddball. Uh, this guy's incredible. I've, I've come across him by you guys, actually. So many people wanted him on the show. I kept getting requests to, to get him on. He's a YouTube YouTube guy, but um, yeah, he's a filmmaker. Makes incredible, incredible docu-series um, on his YouTube uh, account, Bo Miles. He has 461,000 uh, subscribers on his page and, and just an, a really interesting guy with a great outlook on life. Um, I absolutely love this chat with him. He is a, he's a farmer. He lives, lives off his land. He... He makes incredible films and has travelled the world. Um, but, yeah, just chatted to him about his journey, how he got into it, how he got into filmmaking, how he got into um, studying. He's extremely, extremely intelligent. Um, talk about travelling the world and spoke about hitchhiking. This guy's got stories for days. Um, I loved it and just a great outlook on life. So make sure you check it out. Love it. And make sure you check out Bo's YouTube channel as well. The link will be in the show notes to that. It's Bo Miles on YouTube and you can watch all of the films that he's made. It's unbelievable. Hi fam, it's Dylan's mum, Deborah. This is Dylan Friends. He's like, you can embarrass yourself? And I was like, bro, you want me to do all seven verses? Bit arrogant, didn't know all yeah. seven. So I've been in a bad team for 10 years and we got a chance to do something pretty special this year. All you can do is put your hand up and say you're wrong. Banter is a way that guys connect, a way that we can kind of play it safe with someone until we get to know them. I try and fix people sometimes. I'm like, Dan, stop doing that, just listen. And you stack on top of that the habit of not taking your phone when you take your dog. It's easy. They had no other way to get out of the cave and we either turn our backs on them, in which case they're going to die, or we give this crazy idea a go. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. It's hard to inspire me yeah. because I have my own bloody truckload worth of inspiration. So I don't often go looking for other people doing cool yeah. shit. But when I land, you know, when I come into a room and you fella, you know, you're just all brimming with bloody cool creativity yeah. and we're kind of in the same world. <laughs> yeah, it's good, it's good shit. So I'm not I've got to get out more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to the right places. Yeah. I I'm I'm actually quite um are we started? Yeah. Let's start. Yeah, we're starting now. We're we're on. We're live. Oh, no, we're not. Yes, we are. Um, I'm actually quite the opposite in a way. Like, I need to get out more, but like out to where you are more. In, as in into the into country? Into nature. Or, right. Yeah. Be a hermit. Be a hermit. Not be, not be a hermit, but I think that like when I'm in Melbourne, it's such a um, – and when you live in a city, like anyone, you can get so cramped up. You're like in this world. You're living in the concrete jungle. And I know I used to live in Sydney and the best thing for me ever, whenever I was feeling shit, where I was feeling down, all I would do is go run and jump in the ocean. And straight away, that was like a trigger for me. Like, all right, yep. you're back. You know, like I'm a bit like, I love, not in a way spiritual, but like I just love being in nature, but I know I don't do it enough. Yeah. Circuit breakers. I used to teach that stuff, mate. Yeah. Attention restoration theory. What is it? Well, your mind is like, um, you know, when you're watching TV and you kind of fuzz out from the actual watching what's happening with the characters or the story that's happening, but you're sitting there, you, your mind is restoring because it's just, it's, you've allowed it to have some downtime and you're not thinking about whatever's front of mind. 
Uh, you're not thinking about your girlfriend paying something, being fit, looking great, getting a new car, getting something fixed, whatever it is. You, you look, you, you're doing something that's really not your life, mm. um, and that's what um, green spaces do. Attention restorate, and they give you back your attention because you've only got so much each day, whether it be eight hours, nine hours, 12 hours, you need reboots and you need to recharge. So green spaces, is that like do you mean just going into a green space? Like what actually is that? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of a phenomena. So they don't yeah. really know why. I mean we're, we're biologically I mean, we are animals, right? And so we've come from natural spaces and not necessarily four-walled spaces. Mm. Well, we have. We've come from natural spaces. They found that in the in the 90s, I think it was um, Kaplan and Kaplan, this, uh, a father, not a father, a, a husband and wife duo discovered that with people with people in hospitals with a window out over a green space would recover quickly or recover faster than the other side of the building that didn't have a window on a green space. And so they thought, shit, you know, there's something in this to a bird tweeting and, you know, wind blowing through the, a tree. Um, humans dig it and, and it means that we can go back to that restoration thing, which is physiological. Wow. How do you do that? Uh, what's that? What's that for you? I have a really, I have a really good balance and I'm stuffed if I know where it's come from. Mm. I'm pretty selfish. Mm. I, I, I'm, we've just had our second kid. My wife has. We've got an eight-week-old kid at home and my wife just doesn't sleep enough. And I would be sleeping. If I was breastfeeding, I would, be, I would be having my seven or six or five and a half hours a day. Helen's getting three or four hours a day because she's so tuned into the kid. And I think I'm, I'm selfish enough to just, you know what, the kid's just going to have to cry or I'm going to have to – I always find space for myself to, to bugger off into the bush or to go for a paddle or to sit under a tree and read a book. I, um, I can relate to that in a way. But I don't think I know my triggers to actually do it for myself. It's, I'm yeah. using it in bat. Like probably, I can be selfish enough to do things for myself, but I don't know if they're the right things. That makes sense. Well, neither do I, mate. Yeah. I'm just flying blind. But yeah. I know that I have this. I have this really good default that I'm pretty. I'm self-preserving. Yeah. I know I'm a better kind of dude around others when I'm Thinking. selfish yeah. with my core kind of fundamentals: sleep, good, you know, good hydration, being. Challenged. I need. I need to have stuff going on that's pretty engaging. Otherwise, I'm thinking, what the what the hell is my life point? Um, so I, I've always got these good defaults, and I think that makes me a better human around others. Love that. Hey, we jumped into the show because uh, you are. We've already had about 15 DMs off off the mic as well, and I'm loving where this is going already. But um, Bo, it's incredible having you today. I've wanted to get you in for a long time. Massive fan of your work. Can you explain to someone who maybe hasn't seen your work before? How would you sum up? Who you are? I suck at that deal. I it's, hard. I, it's the I worst question, at, too, man. And I apologise, but, but no, I don't that's know okay. To, but we have know. to ask. Yeah, yeah. No, you got to ask it, mate. Otherwise, um, you're out of a job. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, all right. So, so I've been in academia for the last sort of ten years, but I was always a bit of a misfit. So I was always attracted to university life because of the challenge of the potential of thinking and perception and where we can go with our minds. Yeah. Because I've always had the body stuff sorted. I've always wanted to be physical, at least as an adult. Um, so I suppose that's kind of what I am now. I'm, I'm just someone who's trying to agitate my mind and body and do interesting things. So um, if I was to split my week up, I'm a, I'm a dad, I'm a writer, and I'm a filmmaker. And they're all combined and I – who knows? I wouldn't mind being a bit more of a farmer, but I think that's sort of off to the side. That's coming. Doctor of philosophy though? Yeah, yeah. And, and what I think – fundamentally is lacking now in universities 
is philosophy. You know, every second academic there has to have a doctorate. That's that's their bread and butter, but they're very um, they're lacking in the philosophy in a doctorate of philosophy. Mm. We're pretty bloody. We're pretty. We're pretty meat and potatoes now, and we often don't think weird and wonderful shit in the university because it's hard to get money from that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really glad I've left the university sector. I had a ball. I loved it. I didn't really want to leave, but it was good to leave in the end, and I, I'm much better for it. And this could be a super, super dumb question, but there is no such thing. What is philosophy? Like what is what, what does one teach in that space? Well, I mean, a doc, let's start with a doctorate. Yeah. Um, and philosophy is very similar in a sense that a doctorate, you have to add to the pool of knowledge. You have to say something, think something, articulate something that's never been put down on paper before or had in a conversation. Now, that's a very intimidating thing. There's so almost is that like when you get your PhD, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's this kind of black belt of, of academia. And then you can go on and be this wondrous researcher or think in your particular area of interest. But to get to that start point, you have to, you have to put yourself through the rigor of uh, seeing what other people have said in your realm or, you know, you think you've got original, everyone thinks they've got original ideas. People think they've got original theories. Truth be told, it's been, you know, it's been out there for a long time in other forms, even if it's slightly different to what you think of it. So to add to the pool of knowledge, something that is genuinely new, you've got to think pretty hard and you've got to really try and articulate what the hell it is you're saying. And that's what a PhD is, that, that real refinement of a very big thing into something that's tangible. What did you do yours on? Do you remember? Yeah, I did it on um, expeditionary learning. Wow. And so you, you're right. You know, they, ha- they have five and $10,000 competitions that if you can articulate your PhD in two minutes or less – you you win the money. Yeah. It's very hard. You've got to try and boil down these big things. Well, I remember when I was when I was playing sport. You know, we'd have a lot of um, in the high performance realm. A lot of the the um, in that high performance uh, sector, they would be doing their PhDs, and while they're doing them, I'd always be like, question like, what what are you doing yours on? What are you doing it on? And it would be on like the most smallest muscle in a chain when you turn direction. Mm. Like it was so intricate of like what this one form of study is and it has to go for well like they're like a thesis aren't they they're, they're yeah, yeah. thousands and thousands of yeah, words yeah. on certain yep. things 100,000 words and which is sort of sort of a typical length 300 400 pages and it's and dripping in knowledge of what other people have done in and around it they're yeah. super specific which is kind of bonkers to be honest because to be a good human you shouldn't be specific yeah i've i've met some very very bright people in academic worlds that are Shit, man, they don't know much about how to change a car or how a car works or, you know, what birds that sing in a tree. You know, they're, they're very isolated in their thinking. Yeah, I think I already know the question of this and, and we'll get through it, all these stories today, but do you think you've learnt more from doing that study or out being outdoors and doing making all well, the Well, e- the easy answer is to say, look, mate, up a tree, I'm going to yeah. learn a lot more. <laughs> but I learn a lot at university yeah. because you learn, I've learnt to be very critical of myself mm. and what is um, – you know, the world of absolutes, there's a lot of people, I think, you know, I was listening to the um, the Taliban talk yesterday, one of the ministers for the Taliban talking about why and how they're doing things in Afghanistan. And I thought he's talking in absolutes, let alone the fact that it's, it was so unjust what he was talking about. And I thought he's talking like this is, this is, uh, like gravity or, or like the, okay, we, it might not be blue, but when we look at the sky, we see a blue color. That's what we've prescribed it as. 
that could be fact. You know, you could say that, okay, the sky is blue. Most human eyes see it as blue. That's the colour we're prescribed with these words. Um, it frustrates the hell out of me when we have these huge absolutes that, that really ream us, that really put these boxes around us. We've got to smash through them, man. And, and mm. humans are, have got potential bloody dripping, but we've got to, we've got to see it in ourselves to do it, you know. Mm. Um, as a long-distance runner, I get it because I know that, uh, you know, you can run 50Ks and you think you're stuffed. If someone came and put a gun to my head, I'd run another 50Ks because I have to. And you'd do it because you don't want to die. So you, where we think is the end point or where we think is, is our absolute can just – can just get stuffed. <laughs> we can just keep going. How did you How did you find that? How did you find that piece? Was it through education? Was it through actually just getting out there and trying things? Like have you, probably what I'm trying to say, was there a crucible moment in your life that you realised this or do you think it's maybe who you've always been? Yeah. I've got, um, I don't know, they're really hard questions to, uh, mm. to answer, Dill, because I get a lot, of, a lot of questions from me of, so by why are you this particular yeah. way or why do you think these things? I don't know where there's, I don't know where the seed was to create this me as a 42-year-old. I'll be in a very different space in five years' time and I'm not sure where, where well, I'm not sure what's going to take place in the next five years that's going to make me a different bow. There's so, like I've had a really diverse day today and no doubt that's got some stuff in there that's making me, talk to you in a particular way now and if we'd done this chat to yesterday I might be totally, you know just yeah. a smattering of difference and that's a really lovely thing but that's a shit answer okay so um, <laughs> oh, fence sitter I've got really good parents that are weirdos yeah. right yeah. mum's just mum's nuts she's a she's a hell-bent nurse who's a who's really down to earth and my father who's a wacko artist they both think pretty differently they're both quite opinionated we've got lovely worldviews which I think has rubbed off Love it. I hope to think so anyway. Yeah. Well, you are a, a victim of your circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've turned out a lot, like, not just good things, but also, like, you talk about role models. I think we, all, we often look at role models as, as good things. Yeah. I think the best role models have been the things you don't want to turn into. Yeah. I think that about my father a lot, who he had a lot, he had a lot of anxiety with his father. Or, you know, there was animosity there on and off throughout their life, even though they were mates. Mm. And yet I still see, saw dad repeat a fair bit of what his dad did and yet do very different things to what his dad did yeah. too. And I, and I now I think about that now as a father and how am I doing it differently? Yeah, I, you're right, mate. A, a good choice is just is, is has got the same impact on you as a bad choice. Mm. And so, um, yeah, they're powerful when you think of it like that. Where did um, the filmmaking come into play? How did that start? I was romanced by the idea, Dill, when I, I buggered off to uh, Nepal when I was 19. I took this heavy-ass camera that I borrowed from a friend and went off to hike Nepal and shot, I think it was like 35 minutes of footage, and it was crap. I, I just shot I shot a couple of nice mountains. I shot me in a couple of hero poses, doing the right things. You know, I, I shot what I thought was the adventurous story. And what was it just going to be like a doco of your trip? I don't know, mate. Yeah, I just, just thought I'm going to make, I'm going to I'm going to be famous. I'm going to yeah. go and shoot this cool. <laughs> and it was bullshit. I got back and it was just really underwhelming footage, no real story. And it's taken me 20 years since, uh, or more to try and figure out how to tell the everyday, uh, and yeah, put some, put some flavor to it, you know, sex it up a bit and be a bit different maybe. Um, cause we've all got that potential, but, but you gotta, you gotta be pretty honest to do that. 
Yeah, you got to you got to do things that you think and not just uh, think you should do. Those that what you said earlier about like how we think we're not as capable as we are, or we can always go further, and and the, the beauty of the things that are in the most simplest form probably now makes so much sense to me when I watch your videos um, and your films because you take things that are so mundane and so that could be so boring or monotonous and you turn them into the most exciting things. Like I never thought I'd watch a video of someone walking to work, but it's incredible. Well, I never thought I'd do it either, right? So (laughs) my my 18-year-old self would never think that that would be where I'm at as a filmmaker or a storyteller. Um, So, yeah, the... And sorry, is that the is that would you say that's a accurate? Yeah, totally, mate. Yeah, yeah but um, yeah, and, uh, the yeah, uh, the the it's hard to answer why I find why I'm attracted to this so-called mm. mundane because in some respects it's not mundane to me. Mm. Um, I think I'm bloody lucky, deal. Actually, I don't, I don't, I've never been bored. I may have as a kid, but I, I don't – my memory's crap from when I was sort of 14 below. Puberty, I think I had like a light switch and I remember from puberty before that I don't remember much. But, um, yeah, I, I just I, – I know that I'm lucky. I've landed with my bum in honey with my sense of perception that uh, weird shit, uh, mundane stuff, things that have got a, a slow burn, a, a walk up a highway, it really interests me. They really interest me. So I'm lucky. Well, they interest, you know, 461,000 other people that you've got subscribed on your page. Well, that's a bit of a falsehood in a sense in that, well, thank you, but you've got to work like heck to make a story out of that sometimes too. And um, sometimes I'm lucky enough to say the right things on camera and and a story will emerge pretty easily, but otherwise I've got to work it. I've got Mm. to, you know, bloody wring the towel because I haven't said enough or articulated what the hell I'm trying to do. Where, Where do you start? With a with a concept, what happens? Well, this is interesting because you guys know you know guys know the lay of the land with how and what people are interested in out there. You guys are good at what you do. As I said, I haven't always been good at filmmaking or talking or or storytelling. I haven't always been good at it. I fell into the trap early of trying to create things that I thought other people would want. Now I realise. Bo, create shit that you're interested in, and be very critical of what you're doing. Don't waste waste people's time. Never expect someone to watch your stuff unless it is something you think is worth watching. And and I won't. I just won't do it. Um, but the thing now, how I make stories now, and this is a bit of a Mitch thing, so big big tip of the cap to Mitch. So I now make my stories with another dude. Mm. A bit like you guys, you collaborate, and it's good. You've got, a feedback, you've got feedback loops in one room, and that's really good. Otherwise, we isolate ourselves and keep proving ourselves right. So having this sort of network of creatives is good. So Mitch and I now create our films entirely off the narrative. We don't give a stuff about what's a pretty shot, uh, where we've gone, what is hard, what is adventurous, what is what is sort of porn to the eyeballs. We want people interested in what the hell I've said or whatever what, whatever someone has said. It all comes to the voice. So we essentially create films without seeing any shots. It's just a, it's just a voice voice track. Get a three, five, twenty hour voice track, whittle it down. There it is. We had shots. That's crazy. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. No, I don't think many folks do it like that because it takes a frigging lot of work and you've got to trust that there's when something in When you say there. your voice tracks as well, that's of stuff you've already <clears throat> shot but you're listening to it, you're not watching it? Yeah, so what we used to just shoot with different cameras and would lav up yeah. at different times. So you'd turn, okay, Bo, you've got something to say, let's 
push yeah. record. Now I've got a lav mic on the entire time. time. So nothing is, nothing is, you know, so if, and what I do is when I know I'm on a shoot, my internal monologue is, is becomes an external monologue. I just, I say what I think. So out, out it comes and it's a bloody nightmare to edit sometimes because there's a lot of shit you got to wade through uh, and you got to be good at editors and luckily Mitch is a wonderful editor. So between him and I, me realising what I think is my most uh, uh, authentic self and then Mitch, what appeals to him as, as a second watcher, boom, that's a good combo. Mm. Yeah, I like that. It's also always good to have two points because as you as a, like a host in it per se of that, you know, film, if you're anything like me, you'd nearly cut out everything without having someone else's yeah. eyes. Like you get so, you know, you critique yourself so hard that you end up taking out all the shit that probably makes a show. Yeah, that's right. And you forget, yeah, that's right. You forget what makes you you sometimes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you get a, you get a bit over yourself. Yeah, shit, man. After I come home on some projects, and I, I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what you think of this, but when you, you've gone and lived your life, uh, a really intense. Let's say my two hundred and twenty k run last year. Uh, you come home after four days, your body's wrecked, your mind is so full, you're brimful of all sorts of amazing things. And then you go, you got to go into an edit suite for a couple of weeks and relive it and relive it and relive it again, which makes for a great story. Um, but man, you sick yourself after that two weeks, you think, yeah. shit, how much, how much me can I take? Mm. Uh, how do you deal with that, mate? Because you, you, I mean, you'll go back and listen to this and you'll position it in a particular way. And I actually don't, I never listen back. Oh, that's good. I never do. And I think for, for so long, even when I was playing footy, I'd never watch myself ever because I just hated it. And I think there's a good there's a good in it, but there's a bad in it. One is, you know, you need to be honest, you need to watch, you need to do it. But yeah. I, I don't if, – even if I played well, I wouldn't do it. And even if I played bad, I wouldn't. I just don't like – And you can't probably knew anyway. I, I, I hate this in a way. I'm still trying to work out what my theory is on life. I, I really don't know because I don't want to be relying on people liking the show. But what I do know is if I enjoyed the chat in the moment – I don't want to go back and listen to it because yeah, then yeah. it might change what yeah. I thought later. So it's really hard. And, and for this, we, we sort of find that it is, it's just long form conversation. Mm. And I, I want it to be in its truest form, which is 90% of the time what we do, unless there's a part where someone fucks up and you, you say something you don't want to take out. But um, that's more on, on the guests than on me. I, I'm keen to leave the fuck ups in and I love that authenticity. I, yeah. I'm not a great, I'm not a trained media personality. I'd say words wrong. I put the wrong words in sentences, but I, that's why I love your stuff is because taking back to the kayaking to work video. And the whole time I watched it, I was so uncomfortable. I was like, fucking hell, you like you, you think you're gonna be kayaking to work, you're in water, but realistically you're just literally walking through prickle bushes the whole time. Like mm. it wasn't sexy, it wasn't glamorous, but that was actually why I was so good. So I hope that when people listen to me, they go, fuck, that is just generally people just chatting. And yep. there's no there's no editing, there's no makeup on it. Well we're in an era, right? So so humans have been doing our human thing now for, well, tens of thousands of years. We're wandering around having these conversations, being communicators with each other. And it's really only been this w one generation, one generation where we have the ability to go back and in time and watch it again and watch it again and freeze frame you when you've gone through specky. And, you know, we're, we're so, we're all bloody narcissists now because we've got the ability to, because we've got a phone in our pocket. It's a, it's remarkable. And so- that's yet to be really told, actually, the effect of our how much we can see ourselves, how much we can play back our lives in front of us. And, mm. and 
we've got 168 hours a week, right? And if you if you're playing for two or three hours, your old self all the time, you're losing an awful lot of life by being in the past. So it's good that you don't you don't watch your stuff back, mate. You just move on to the next conversation. Um, people laugh when when I say this, but I, there's a favorite one of my favorite movies um, is The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. I don't know if you've seen it. I have, yeah, yeah. Oh, you like it? So at the end, you know, he's searching for Sean Penn yeah. and, and the camera and he gets like that famous leopard and he's just about to take the, the photo Isn't it? and he doesn't take it. And then, you know, they're like, why didn't you take the photo? He goes, you know, the most beautiful things you just want to experience. And I'm trying to get better at that. Just sitting yeah, with I, it. I, I, I tend to slut myself out a bit and try and mm. share those moments. I, I would have probably taken the photo. Yeah. I must admit I probably would have. Yeah. But, but, uh, but I get it. I get it too. Because I for every photo that I have taken or I, these great moments I think I've shared on camera, there's been 10 more that I haven't. Um, but I sometimes wish, geez, I wish that was on camera. You know, the big sharks in Africa I couldn't get on. I, well, yeah, I didn't get well enough on camera and I lost my camera, but, gee, I wish I had that footage. So the contrary of, of you getting photos versus me, I'm talking about like pre-drinks with mates versus like <laughs> great wife sharks. So yeah, I'm thinking right. I don't need to get the pre-drinks photo. You're talking about actually cool things. Margot Robbie, yeah. if, I ever, if I'm ever within the same bloody postcode as Margot Robbie, I'm taking that photo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've told my wife this too. Yeah. It's, it's above board. You're probably right, to be honest. Maybe <laughs> I should take more photos. Yeah. Well, it was Margot Robbie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What were what are some of your favourite uh, films you've you've done or favourite challenges? I want to talk about like the challenges you do yourself. Um, again, I think I find your content like a song. Okay, this is getting real weird. Okay, maybe it's a no, it's philosopher good. in it. No, let's do it. Is the fact that like – and just call me out if this is weird, but when you listen to a song – you can sometimes – it's what that song means to you and that artist could have written that song. Sometimes you look up the lyrics, you go, fuck me, that did not mean what I think it did but mm. it meant that to me because that's what I got out of it. And I find that maybe with your videos it's the same. I don't know. I mean I can uh, – there's only so much of me that can answer. Because uh, it's, it's my question really. It's for me to answer. Yeah, because um, – I never set out to inspire people with my films, mm. and yet, and that comes through a fair bit. That oh, Bo, you've inspired me. I really like your positivity. I'm off. I'm off running now. I'm doing things, and yeah. I never, I never in my wildest dreams thought that would be the case. I'm just out there trying to. I'm just trying to keep their interest. I just don't want to waste their time with a story. Like I said before, that, that's pretty much my one key thing, mm. and. and I think a lot of filmmakers are often trying to get their perfect demographic. They're trying to get their perfect film out there. I'm not sure there's such a thing. You know, even Tarantino's only made nine films. I, I want to make nine films in the next nine months or the next, well, four months, five months. You know, I want I want to be a, I want to be a slave to the trade because I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect story. Um, yeah. Point being, I, I just I just want to get it out there. But I love the analogy of the song thing, that and the. What interests me about your song analogy is that I often think that the song impacts you based on that time and place of where you are. Well, where you heard it, yeah. Yeah. So you've got your head full of all sorts of things based on that time and space, and then this song comes on, and you make that you make that transference. Yeah. Of, you know, think of think of how many gay artists out there have written a song that sounds like it's it's a heterosexual song, and yet it's not. Mm. And yet all the heterosexuals out there listen to it, and they and they instantly picture their their male or female partner opposite them. And it wasn't written for a male or female idea; it was yeah. just written for love. And yet that's what that's the picture we put in our head. So I think that's kind of I think that's kind of what we do. I do that with um. Uh, 
uh, what shit Radiohead. Yeah. And 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 I, I'll listen to their stuff every year or two and reinvent the song what because I'm in a different space. Yeah. Mm. Well, maybe it is. Maybe when I've been watching your parts, like that message that keeps coming through to me is like that get comfortable being uncomfortable. And maybe because it's a message that I've been, you know, I've, I've always, I think as a kid I wasn't that and it's always something that I've been tried to challenge myself in doing. Even since I left footy, you know, I did on a camp recently, a resilience camp. I did not want to go to it. But mm. I was like, I need to because I know that I can get better from it. So when I was watching that stuff, I, I, when I watch your stuff, I just go, fuck, I need to challenge myself again. Well, that's nice, mate. Yeah, I, I never I never imagined what the, ama- the amount of stuff that comes through. There's tens of thousands mm. of comments on YouTube that people say things. And, and I, I've only read a smattering of them really, but they do tend to go back to that sort of thing of uh, it inspires people to take. I think they've got, everyone's got these great paths in them, sometimes it just takes a kernel from someone else to inspire them to take it. And that's bloody yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to be that dude, but I never set out to be that dude. That's cool. I love the fact that you don't pretend that it, like that was it as well. Like you could sit here and say, yeah, you know, it's, it's good to be inspiring. But I was like, no, I just make it for this and it's what other people do with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, mate. Um, and beauty is a bit like that, you know, a, a good looking, a, someone who's attractive to you never isn't on the planet for you to be attracted to. You're just attracted to them for a whole bunch of reasons. Mm. But yeah, the, the, the whole reason for them being on the planet wasn't for you to be attracted and to feel these things. And in some respects, my films are kind of the same thing. Love it. Love it. Back to the main question of that. What are some of your favorites? What are some of your favorite experiences and why? If you had to give your top three. Um, I mean, there's been some moments across and look, I don't have many films out there and mm. I hope shit, you know, I hope within the next sort of 12 to 18 months, it's going to be doubled. We're trying to really crank out more, more content and not to be slaves to it, you know, like we are in social media, but okay. That's a cop out, Bo. Go back to your back catalog. What's your favorite stuff? I, I really like, um, uh, I, ha- I had a massive moment out there in Western Australia when I, I gave a presentation on day, I think it was 25 or 30 when I was eating beans. Yep. I ate beans only for 40 days. Yep. And that's, beans. A, that's a video. Yeah, yep. man-made of beans uh, or the yep. human beans, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> very clever, very <laughs> clever playing words there. Um, but yeah, I genuinely, on day 23, mate, had a, I, was, I was driving back from Bustleton back to Perth Airport. I was doing this, this talk in too compressed a time and um, my, my humour had totally uh, – vacated me. I was the most bloody horror. I was a really boring uh, human that I wouldn't want to sit next to and have a conversation with. I was shit. You know, I was, I was, I wasn't a very good human, I was subhuman because I was on this sort of mono diet. And yeah, I had these big epiphanies about how, how we think and what we do and how we have relationships and how, what our vocab is, you know, the amount of words I can talk to you about is all based on what I shove in my mouth, all based on food. Really? Beans dumbed me down. You know, my vocab halved, my humour halved. I didn't see colour the same way. You know, it was just I, I completely shifted. And, and, it, and was, was that because, on. sorry, did you make that film to test it out or did you just, was that yeah, the aim yeah. of it? Yeah. And, there, you know, everyone on, on well, a lot of people on YouTube said, Bo, tell us about your science. You know, what, what was your magnesium like or your B12 or your bloody cholesterol? I don't know. They're just numbers. I wanted to know how I feel. You know, and I, I use my vocabulary to tell you how I feel. As a runner, I have a really good litmus test of my body. 
I, I know intimately how far I can run based on what I shove down my throat. You know, so if, if I've changed that algorithm, then surely I can have some really good epiphanies on what I think about politics or, or colour spectrums and whatever, you know, based on what I eat. I thought it was fascinating. And that, and that was a big moment. There was a genuine moment where I thought, shit, I've kind of, I'm kind of tapping into something here that I didn't expect. What did that teach you? Have you, have you made changes post that or do you, are you more aware of what you're putting into your body? Like is that uh, what it did or is it more Yeah, just well, a, I just had a half a bag of snakes. You did. That's what I was just saying because you rocked up that, with half a bag of snakes, a kombucha. for like for ages but yeah. I've just been basically drinking coffee all day but it's about a big day. But yeah. um, <laughs> And that was all. It was at the post office next door. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty militant with what goes into my body mm. now. But what it did do, mate, is I, after 40 days of eating beans, I no longer crave food, not one thing. A completely abolished craving. So even when Anything. finished? Yeah. So I, I crossed the finish. I ran a 50K race on the final day of the bean experiment. I thought I'll try this ketosis thing too. I'll try a high-protein diet uh, and I'll try and run this ultra marathon. Worked fine. You know, I was pretty slow, but, I, you know, it was all no worries. And my friends gave me this goodie bag full of awesome food at the end of it, and I had no desire to eat any of it. All I'd eaten is beans for 40 days and they gave me licorice and fruit and beer and beautiful bread rolls. And I just thought, I don't really need that right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm full. And so, I, you know, I had a sandwich that night and then started eating it the next day. But I have not craved anything since. Wow. Yeah, just completely abolished it. Would that be mentally or would, do you think that's mental oh, or, I think or, I had, or your body? It probably had a lot to do with sugar. Yeah. Um, you know, dopamine levels in our head. I don't know. I don't know the science behind it all. Uh, I do know that my brother-in-law was probably whispering in my ear a while back. He's talking about vices and how humans are f- so full of vices and <clears throat> it's so much easier to live in life if you don't have vices. What do you mean by that? What's, what do you mean by well, vice? Well, like? if someone's a slave to things within yeah. their, maybe habitual, so you get up and you have to have that coffee at a certain time and then you have to have a follow-up one at a certain time and you have to have your green leafy salad a certain particular way or whatever, you know, you'd have your tea a particular way or you have to, I don't know, be facing east yep. in the whatever. If you if you have habits that are often um, somewhat irrational or, or uh, you're less, you, you, you don't function as well if unless you, you do them. those sort yep. of things, I think, I think that's, yeah, I think you, you, you do, you're not doing yourself any favours. Yeah, I remember once, and this goes back to a very stupid story, but when I was playing, I used to do this routine thing and everyone said, you have to do the same thing every week. And I got to the stage where I was like, fuck, I can't keep this up. Like if I don't have this pasta again or something happens, it'll it'll ruin me. Yeah. So I ended up my routine now for things is like never to do the same thing yeah. in a row. Yep. Because well, it's a lot as easier As long as do that, that doesn't become a vice. Exactly. Because yeah. the flip side of it can be as well. You go into that as well. So I, yeah. I totally dig. You know, look, watch Nadal and, he, and his routines yeah. and – I'm fascinated by that stuff mm. because I'm very I'm very warm to Nadal. I think he's a cool dude and he's a bloody incredible athlete. So I think, right, shit, he's probably onto something that I haven't tapped into yet, that, that kind of mechanism and that routine. Mm. And so I, I totally dig it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm probably scared of it because I, I, I want to do Be different stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, the Nadal one's really interesting. We had a, um, a lady on uh, Mary Spillane who's a clinical psychologist um, – Early in the year, who was who was fascinating. She specializes in specializes in OCD. Yeah, right. And her um, field is talking about how, in the general public, you know, OCD is is seen as something really serious, but in the professional world, it's seen as being an elite sports person. Yeah. So 
being onto the Nadal thing, now I don't want to assume that he has OCD, but it looks like there's some tendencies there of that. And, yeah. and people go, wow, that's awesome. Look how professional he is. But really that could be quite debilitating for someone to have that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he just happens to be incredibly gifted or, well, just very good at tennis. So he's able to put those two things together and then and it works. works from this perfect world. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's a really good point actually. Yep. I mean, musicians musicians and artists, I think, have been the outcasts of society for an awful long time too and they've had to kind of find and shit, think of the percentage of how many artists and musicians and people that are really artistic and creative haven't depressed, punched through. Yeah, not everyone's going to be a Banksy yeah. or, or a you know an Andy Warhol or someone. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that just fall between the cracks because they they keep pursuing these oddities that just don't fit in with the or to explode in the cultural norm, you know. Mm. It's cruel. It is cruel. Um, second favourite vid. Uh, look, Run the Line is very pretty and it was really fun too. It was bloody fun. Like it was a great day out. I could totally kicked my own ass too. I stupidly wore what I thought looked like a 1950s train driver and I took old pa- I took pasta, which was barely in Australia in 1950, <laughs> by the way, either. But I thought I'm not well, – Which one's Run the Line? Give context to Run that. Run the Line, yeah. I, um, I ran – uh, an old railway line that used to go from Warrigal to Noogee, which is basically my entire life. So where I was a boy, where I now live, there's an old railway line running through the, the hills there. And uh, it closed down in 1958 and it's just, it was, it's been, you know, sold off and there's some little bits in reserve and you can see where the line is in some bits. But so I retraced this 43 kilometre train line through people's backyards and through farms and mostly illegal um, the, p- the police were fantastic. I thought I, I was nabbed at the 10K mark and was, and I just said to the guys, I said, look, I'm just running the old Vic track easement, which is true, totally true, but it sounded like it's probably still a bit of government land in there, mm. which was only a little bit true. And they said, oh, right, oh, well, you don't seem too crazy on your way then. And off I, off I went. Anyway, the, the film's called Run the Lines. It's been my only ever film that, I, that cracked Banff, which is, you know, big film festival overseas. Oh, yeah. Because it's just very pretty, it's beautifully shot and uh, really positive, really, really good fun. Love it. Okay. Yeah, so I, 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 I had a ball that day. Mm. What about the most challenging experiences you've, you've taken to? You spoke about the Beans one then, like going to a place where your body was just screaming. Well, that too, it was frick, that was the hardest film I've ever had to make, Mitch and I. Yeah. Because uh, I, sh- I shot 80% of it, yeah, the human being. Yeah. Because it was just me eating tins of beans for 40 days and doing whatever else I did. I just self-shot it for 40 days. Um. Because I didn't go anywhere, so that was very much a film of you had to. I had to make it up. It was all. It was very voiceover heavy, very internal monologue heavy. Because all I'm doing is just chomping on beans the whole time mm. and going for the odd run and being boring at work. And you know, I wasn't. I wasn't the peppy kind of bow that's going to say loose shit because I, I didn't have the. I didn't have the energy to. <laughs> I didn't have the right mechanisms. So that was one a really hard film to make, um, and I didn't go anywhere. So. I don't know why I'm telling you about that one because it's not a particular favourite. It was just hard work. <laughs> Challenging. <laughs> Shit. Kiking across the Bass Strait, that one scares the fuck out of me. Yeah, well, that's um, – I think that's a, cl- that's a classic hero's tale that's a storm in a teacup in that Everest is very – Everest, you know, is quite an easy mountain. It makes It's hard because it's bloody high and yeah. I don't take anything away from Everest mountaineers but – I, I do know, you know, as a kayaker that's been out in bad days, you're kind of silly to go out in bad days in a sea kayak because you're just, just, just like going up Everest yep. when it's shit weather. 
Bass Strait is a piece of cake, mate. I could train you up in three weeks to do it. You just got to do it in good weather. You got to read the weather, and you got to you got to maybe do it with a good mentor or do it with a good kayak. And yeah, you got to do some Ks and, and get your you know your pedigree up. But otherwise, the rest is you know. How was the weather? Magic, magic. Well, yeah, I got we got stuck on Deal Island for eight days because the weather went to shit. But that's the whole point. You just hold out. Mm. Have you um ever had any bad experiences at sea? Yeah, because that's I, my biggest fear. So the start of my book and my PhD is based on day sixty two when I paddled from um, Mozambique to Cape Town, the African. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, what happened? Uh, so. I'm paddling, and this is solo at this stage. So I, I, the first four weeks, I paddled with a Kiwi bloke, Jared Sharples, great guy, and he was a he was a he's a sailor too. So he he read the sea better than me. You know, I was a, I was a, I'd been kayaking enough, and I knew my way around a kayak. But he was really good, and he was real salty. Bloody good having him, right? So for four weeks, him and I paddle. Um, I don't know, six or seven hundred k south from from Mozambique. Then he gets malaria, he gets shipped out. And I continue by myself towards um, Durban. So I've been a, I've been alone for two or three weeks by this stage, and I'm getting into the groove of being alone, which I really enjoy. Love the solo travel. The rule of thumb was if I can leave the beach, if I can get through the shore break, because that cl- classic Mozambique channel is just shore break, shore break, shore break. You know, it's bloody two, three foot flopping waves, but then it's this glorious blue out the back. But you just got to be able to get to it. If I could get to it, I'm going to paddle. So this one day I get slammed, you know, so I get spat out of my cockpit. I can't get through the shore break. A couple of times I finally get out. I had three attempts. I'd even said to myself, if you can get out on the third one, go. If you, Obviously, if you don't, you're going to sit it out, mate. Out I go and I'm – anyway, cut a long story short, a big bloody rogue wave, five, six k's offshore, comes steaming in from the left and, and you've got, you know, you've got your 10 or 12 seconds to make a decision. Do you – put your nose into it and try and get up over or do you try and race it? Uh, do you head towards land? And yeah, I had that moment. I, I put my nose to it and over I went and just got over. And But it was a, it was a, it was a it void your bowels, void your pissing, your shaking. You know that if you, if you fuck it up, you, you're fucked. How big was it? Oh, five, six metres, a big wave, big wave in the middle of nowhere, out on a big reef. So... I wouldn't have died, I don't think. I don't think I would have died with the wave. It would have popped up like a cork, I'm sure. But my stuff would have been everywhere and I'm 6 or 7K from shore <laughs> on, a, on a day that's getting worse in terms of its sea state. Uh, full-on sharks everywhere. Um, if I'd survived that, just get to get to land at that stage, yeah, mate, you're up to a, you're in, in for a flogging, I reckon. So I knew that in that five or eight seconds, so that 10 seconds I had to make a decision. Go for it. I'm I'm staring down the barrel of of living or not, and yeah, it was it was a genuine moment. When you're six or seven k's offshore in the middle of the ocean, things like that can arise. There's sharks, whales, everything. There's nature just doing its thing. How do you keep yourself on task? Like, is there fear there? Do you have fear? Are you, are you absolutely? Anxious? No, yeah. I'm, I've got a really good fear threshold. Um, and that, and that's why I do stuff too. I, I want to kind of feel those thresholds and yet I'm not a hell man. There's people doing way more hardcore stuff than me out there. I think sometimes they push it a bit. A few weeks before that moment, day 62 in Africa, Andrew McCauley had died within sight of New Zealand. You know, he paddled a traditional sea kayak from, from, uh, Northern New South Wales over to Tassie, uh, sorry, over to New South, 
New Zealand. Yeah. Got within sight of it. He took a photo of it. You can see the mountains of New Zealand. He was delirious by then and got got um, tossed over by a wave and was never found again. And I was told live on radio, radio, I was doing ABC interviews every week. And so I was totally bummed out that, you know, this really good dude, young family, just pushed it too hard. I, I think that's – selfish is a hard – but I, I just think he went he went too much. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to die. Mm. Dying's bullshit, mate. Mm. I'd, I'd rather just have some misadventures here and there but where I have some, at least some touchstones where uh, I've got some outs. What scares you? Uh, death is a big one, but I don't want to get too much into that. But uh, I'm in my, my half-life now, right? So I think the oldest person in the Tour de France is about my age, 40, 41, 42. Mm. Uh, I kind of like the fact that I'm still just hanging on by the bloody well, back legs into the, into the physicality of myself, but I know that that's, those days are really limited. So I want to keep using my body as much as possible. Mm. But I'm scared of lots of things, mate. Um, but it's mostly it's mostly age, and and not appreciating uh, things while they're here. I mm. suppose I, I'm not an overly religious person, right? So I just think shit, man. When the lights go out, they they go out, and and yeah. what is beyond that? It just scares the shit out of me. So I, I want to do lots. Have you got anything that you're teeing off at the moment? Like what what's something that you want to achieve, or what's what's the next thing that's that's there? Well, bo- I've got to I've got to kind of crank up everything. Mm. Yeah. So my back out adventure book's been out about a year now, and that's that's done great. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a COVID book which sucked. So all of these live events, talking to good people like yourself, just evaporated. So it was down the line of a screen, or you know, it was on a phone call somewhere. So I lacked the personality of going and meeting folks and telling them about my stories. But that did okay. The backyard adventure is doing well. But um, and, and, and is that just basically what you've done to date? The backyard adventure, yeah, is that, kind yeah. of. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't want to be. You know, I don't think I've done enough to warrant sort of this. You definitely have. What yeah. do you call it, a memoir? Me- memoir? I didn't think it was a memoir just yet, but it was kind of a ramp up. You know, I think my memoir is in twenty years' time, but it yeah. was all right. This is a prologue, and I unpacked a whole bunch of YouTube films and talked about. You know, some experiences like in Africa and hitchhiking and doing fun stuff and then just unpacked a couple of key films which were really good fun. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm just – I'm doing much the same. I've got uh, the Bad River series which is going to come out next month that I've yeah. been plugging away at for bloody years. Um, it's almost finished. So that's going to be the skeleton of a book. Love it. Um, you mentioned something then. I didn't want to go into it but now I can't not. Hitchhiking. Have you got a good hitchhiking story for us? It's oh, something that yeah. I've always wanted to do, but I just I don't know if I can. Oh yeah, I've I mean I hitchhike across <laughs> uh, into Canada and across the US, all all over Ireland. That was probably my funnest. Yeah, I um my auntie she was getting into it. She was she was trying to set up a website that had a photo of every Irish pub and every Irish main town and a whole bunch of town life in Ireland. Um kind of like a, a mini Getty Images, you know, she wanted to do this thing. She's Irish. So she paid me a – I said, look, I'll do it for chips, right? She didn't have a big budget. So I think she gave me 15 euro a day for a month to travel around Ireland. And and so I used five pound at the pub, five five euro in the pub, five uh, for food, and then I kept five. That that, that was my – I was earning, earning a good day. <laughs> anyway, so I, I hitchhiked around Ireland uh, with, um, with a tripod and my camera and, and whatever, and I spent the last – I forget how many days it was, but I think it was a couple of weeks in jail. So I, I was, I had my two, yeah, and it's a good story. Um, 
So I'm in the pub and and in and in walks this bloke and I think I reckon he's a detective. I've bloody pegged him, right? <laughs> so he saddles up next to me and you know we we get chatting and uh, anyway he's looking at he's and he's looking at me like who's this bloody blowing? Is he here to bloody rob the joint? Is he what's what he going to do? Because I've been sleeping in trains and I've been sleeping behind the bushes of pubs and I've been just sleeping wherever the frig I could, right? I never pay for accommodation. Yeah. It's a waste of money. Anyway, we have a couple of pints and I think I had three pints and that was, you know, so I busted my budget for the day. And at the end of the conversation, he says, look, I'm a detective. I bloody, I bloody knew it, yeah. mate. Um, there's no one in the clink tonight. Do you want to just sleep in the police cell? Oh. And I said, shit, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> it was warm. No worries. He gave me a lift there. Um, plain clothes cop, you know. And then what he did, so I'd just go from town to town and then he'd just, he'd ring ahead and then that, and then that garter, the policeman would ring ahead to the next one. So I just went from, from lock up to lock up. What the hell? Yeah. And just slept in, in the, in the clink. <laughs> unbelievable. With the hospitality in Ireland is oh, incredible. Awesome. Yeah. So drugs, drugs has been about the only thing that has unpicked, because they're a very Catholic yeah. uh, country too. They, they didn't have a crime problem until drugs, basically, until the eighties. Wow. Zero. And so their guard out there, their police, they're basically like they're really good sort of community citizens. They're not not like here. It's the the whole gun culture thing shit. We've we've ruined it. But yeah, over there it was very it was, it was really nice. I keep thinking like every story I hear from you, I'm like, all right, that's definitely your best story. Nah, mate. Oh, I got some. Well, the other one, I um I did a, a year of university in Canada. Keep them coming. And um, <laughs> me and this bloke, he lives in Melbourne now. Actually, he's a bloody funny bastard. <laughs> And we um, we were getting drunk. Of course, we were getting drunk one night, and 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 we said, let's hitchhike to Alaska and back. Um, from Melbourne? No, we were living in Vancouver. <laughs> okay. We were living in Vancouver, and we had to get to Alaska and back in five days on fifty bucks between us. And so we had five days. We had fifty bucks, and we had like that was like three and a four thousand kilometers to do. Uh, so and we had to get proof, right? So we took a little video camera. This before phones, before. Well, before phones, before um, mobile phones, off we set, and we we got it, we did it right, but we didn't think we would. We got to Alaska in three and a half days, so we had a day and a half to get back. So we go across, we get to to Alaska, and we're there for five minutes. And the the border security, a lady, she filmed myself and Fulsh in our undies running across into America, touching America, running back. She's filming. She's the border patrol. This yeah. is before September 11, right? Before the world went nuts, and so. We come back in. She stamps our passports in our undies. We, and then we go down and we stand on the edge of town and think we're, we're stuffed. We, no way can we get back to Vancouver in you know, 30 hours. This guy comes around the corner. He's in this shit car. He's doped out of his head. He's just broken up from his wife and he has to get back to Vancouver. And so, and he says, man, I'm just, I'm driving the whole way. So we, we jump in and <laughs> so we did a rotary. So he's driving. He's already been up for 24 hours. He's totally heartbroken. He's high as a kite. You know, five hours in, you like, I can't do this. Do you guys want to drive? So full shoes been smoking. He got, he gets in the driver's seat, drives five-hour stint. Me in the back, we just do this rotary of very high people driving to Vancouver and we get back in time. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. That ended up pretty dodgy actually. I think he wanted to take us home, that bloke. Oh, wow. But uh, okay. it ended pretty dodgy, but it was two to one, so we were yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but these experiences, like, you must realise they're not, Everyday experience, like a lot of people don't do things. Like oh, that. backpackers do all sorts yeah. of stuff. But yeah, I've had my fair share. You can't. You got to be willing to do. Kind yeah, of, yeah. I, I I happily sleep anywhere in ditches or under bridges or 
you know, I don't spend money on accommodation. I think it's a waste of bloody money. It's like spending money on sex or water or parking. I just don't really do it, you know. So I just I, I map my experiences around that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, Darcy's looking at me. He wants one more. One more. One more of your craziest stories. Um. Yes, I mean, where, where do you start? Well, I'll give you one more little hitchhiking story. I'll see. They how, can be I'll, long. I'll, I'm where they can be as long as you like. I'll see how my Irish accent goes because okay. it's, it's, sometimes it's okay and sometimes it's horrible. <laughs> but I was hitchhiking in this same Irish hitchhiking, and. There's 26 counties in Ireland, and I was I was on my twentieth, you know, something. And you know, I might get all all 26 counties. I was essentially doing one county a day for a month, and I've got my tripod with me and my backpack. And my tripod, I suppose, would look like golf clubs to someone who thinks you're maybe hitchhiking around Ireland playing golf. I've got them there, and this guy pulls in. I'm on the edge of town. Uh, flings open his door. Get in. Get in. Fucking get in, you know, he's swearing. And uh, I get in. Thanks, mate. Yeah, just go to the next town. No worries. And uh, off he goes. Um, ah, so you're, uh, you're playing some golf, mate? You're playing a bit of golf? I said, no, no, it's actually a tripod. I'm just, I'm here taking photos for, of, of Ireland. I tell him the whole spiel. And uh, nothing. We, we hear nothing. And it, it's just a five-minute trip to the next town. And we get into town and he pulls into the main street and opens the door. I open the door. So, well, enjoy your fucking golf. <laughs> off I get. And I just thought it was a lovely little story. That he, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't listen. No. He, he didn't give a shit. But I thought, yeah. And and then I've often thought, wouldn't it be great to create a tripod that is a pull-apart three golf clubs? I've always thought that too. Yeah. And then I could do exactly that based on that little story. I go and play a round of golf with my tripod based on what this guy thought I was doing. That's fantastic. La- just lastly on the hitchhikers, because I am so fascinated on this. It's not illegal, by the way. It's not illegal? No, a lot of people think it is. Really? Yeah. There you go. Um, well, the two-part question then, have you ever picked anyone up? And secondly, the probably the weirdest conversation you've ever had with anyone in a car. In a car? Like hitchhiking? Like, yeah, like someone that's picked you up or you picked them up. Have you just ever met someone you're like, whoa, this is... Probably shouldn't have got into this one. It's, hitchhiker's law is that if you if you hitchhike, you bloody pick up a hitchhiker. Yep. But there are still some laws to it. As a hitchhiker, you've got to give them somewhere to pull over. So you can't just be on Stand a Stand on the side of the road, yeah. No, well, you've got to be on an on or off ramp or somewhere where they can pull over safely. Yep. If you're doing it on a massive bit of highway and it's just 100, 100, 100, 100, and you're expecting them to come over onto a dodgy bit of shoulder, you're an asshole. Give them somewhere to pull over. So there's a rule to it. Always smile, always be happy. Um, you know, don't look like you're an axe murderer. I think that's just why would you do that? Yep. <laughs> uh, give a sign if you if you can. So give him some give him some help where you want to go. Um, but yeah, so so there's a few rules to hitchhiking, and uh, I mean the double thing is always if there's multiple people hitchhiking, that's sometimes tricky as well. I must admit, I've I've never picked up a single female. That scares me. I, I just don't, I don't want to go down that. I don't want to. I don't want to be in that situation. Same mm. with students. Maybe it's from you know. My, I'm a next teacher, so I never want to be in the same room uh, isolated with a, a female. It's just uh, doesn't bode well. So whereas I'm always expecting uh, not a female to pick me up, but almost always expecting another uh, single male to pick me up. Mm. Where are we going with this? What Weird- was I telling? No, that, that is exactly oh. where we're going. But the one was weirdest. Experience well, on like- the way, on the way to Alaska, Fulsh and I got picked up just out of 
just out of Kamloops, I think it was, on the way, uh, by a couple. Now, whenever a car passes you and doesn't pick you up, but then you see that car 10 minutes later, they've doubled back around to come and get us. You think they've probably got an agenda. But we were desperate. This was late at night. which We were past the threshold of when we should have been going back to Vancouver. So this same car, which we'd recognised, came back and doubled back and got us. And they were real nice. And then we jump in the car. And within 10 minutes, they start to propose this place they've got. That they'd like to take us back to this place and they start to massage this story. Oh, we're going to go back and feed the dogs or something and yada, yada. And it just got dodgier and dodgier and dodgier to the – and in the end they just said, no, look, we'd like to take you back. We're swingers. We'd like to oh, wow. have our way with you. Oh, so – and, and yeah, yeah, so – I was thinking murder as well. <laughs> no, nah, it's mostly sex-based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we just said, no, nah, and we had to be really firm. We want to get out now and we got – they, and they were quite cross. They thought we'd be up for it. I don't know. But they, we just had to get out in the middle of bloody nowhere and sleep under some trees and off this, you know, secondary highway and make our way back, added on some Ks. But, you know, you can think of, yeah, I've, we've had, I've had some wonderful hitchhiking experiences, but they're not necessarily just a conversation. They're just they're really bloody genuine. Sometimes you don't talk. You know, you're sitting next to someone who's trusted you. Yeah. To, to come into their life for this one hour, two hours, three hours, and you just don't talk. You just sit there and listen to the radio. And... Oh, here's, here's one. Righto, last one for you. So a couple of days after day 62 in Africa, I come into Sedwana Bay um, in, in South Africa. So I'm still a bit tender after that experience and I'm still a bit, bit gun-shy, you mm. know, I, I'm – not real happy about being a solo sea kayaker at that particular time. And so just to add to this story, how far was that kayak? How many days, uh, that journey? I did an, uh, 105 days or something. 105 days. So that, yeah. I just wanted to add that in because that's a massive part of it. That's yeah, it was a big paddle. I had a 105 massive day paddle. Yeah. yeah. I, I shed a whole bunch of weight. I shed like 10 or 12 kilos and then put it all back again Far when I hit out. the beer. <laughs> hit the beer for the last month. Yeah, got real lean. And it was a wonderful experience, but but too hard. I just made it a bit hard on myself. Mm. But about halfway through, I came into Sedwana Bay and um, uh, I needed to get resupply. The resupply was, I don't know, five or eight kilometres in, in town, not on the coast. And within, say, an hour of being in Sedwana Bay, I'd met an Australian, great bloke, digger his name was, expat, run a, run a dive company there. He knew someone and someone else knew someone. And lo and behold, the Chinese grocer, grocery store owner uh, was away that day and the truck was parked down at the, down at the port. And they just, they fling me the keys to this truck and say, yeah, go into town, leave your kayak here, you know, so, you know, you've got the truck, we've got the kayak, that's kind of a good good deal. <laughs> um, but you'll have to pick up anyone who who's hitchhiking between here and town and, and the same for coming back, which is the, you know, it's just one road in, one road out. So here I am, I'm still in, I'm still in my bloody, my PFD, zinc all over my face, got, you know, my Crocs on and my one pair of shorts. And I'm driving this little Chinese truck into town, picking up hitchhikers in a place I've never been before to go to a grocery store. I don't know where the <laughs> hell he is. And, you know, I'm just picking people. I'm not in the cabin with me. The back's open and people are just getting on and off. I'm just, I'm just the bloody bus driver going into town and back. And I thought, this is just the, the dark's nuts. It was so cool. That's unbelievable. And I didn't film any of it because the camera's back. At the, all I'm doing is to go and get a bloody loaf of bread and there's one of these awesome – Side story, uh, never got shot. That's so cool. Yeah. That's a Sean Penn. That totally was, mate. Yeah. No, I would have shot it. Yeah, no, but I would have slowed it. 
I would have shot the <laughs> hell out That is pretty of it. sick. <laughs> that is awesome. I love, um, and I messaged you about this when, you know, I really wanted you to come on the show, but I think today chatting, everything we've said, the one thing sums it up, which I love the most, and it's nearly your motto that I want to steal, but I can't because I haven't done what you've done, is doer. You're a doer. And I love that mentality. I love that. Just that that attribute in a person who just goes out and does things. Is it something you've obviously consciously thought about, but what does it mean to you to be a doer? And how could you? How could someone become a doer? And what do you mean by it? Well, um, I'm constantly busy and not in a bad way. A lot of people that are into Zen and uh, into uh, this pseudo form of balance, they say you need to have these down times. Well, I, I don't believe in that. I think that's bullshit. I like being busy constantly. And sometimes that busyness is very metronomic, as, as in, like, I love I love splitting wood. I love uh, slash hand slashing. You know, I, I slash my little five-acre property. I don't use Roundup. I just take a, a slasher. Yeah, right. Yeah, do and, and that's it's bloody good physical work. I've never been to a gym in my life, but I've never had a bad job in my life either because I just like doing stuff. I just like being busy. The trick is to be happy to do those things because they supplement maybe some of the more exotic things like, uh, going for big runs or having adventures or writing books, these things that have big, big purpose, ambition, bang for buck. I love filling in the gaps with things like slashing and chopping wood and walking slowly around the block with my daughter or, or whatever. Being domesticated, I quite like it. Mm. And so I just like being bloody busy. Uh, it's very satisfying and it gives me wonderful balance. And I don't question the big stuff or the small stuff anymore because I know they, they're a really good um, – they're, yeah, they're a handheld partnership. It's bloody good. But yeah. uh, but in terms of the, yeah, you've got to be happy with, I remember, I remember I worked in radio for a while and I remember this great guy I worked with, he said, I want to earn the maximum amount of money doing the least amount possible. And I thought about that. I thought, really? You want to work, say, 10, 20 hours a week, get your 100,000 bucks and then just watch sport the rest of the time, which you, which, which you want to do? I couldn't stand that, you know I, and this whole idea of retirement and superannuation kind of pisses me off that I'm forced into doing this thing where at 70 or 72, bing, you're no longer contributing to the world anymore. You're going to sit on your ass and go and be a retiree. Bullshit. I want to work until I'm dead and I want to, be, I want to contribute to the world until I fall off the perch. And, I, and I, yeah, I, that's my mantra. I don't know where it's come from, I bloody, but that's my thing. I think a lot of people would want to be like that. How, what advice could you give to someone to to be more like that? And where do you think maybe we go wrong? Well, I have the great, you know, me calling my book The Backyard Adventure is kind of bullshit. That's lucky white boy saying that. I know that I'm now The Backyard Adventure getting this great feedback from my home turf because I've, I've been to 50 or 80 countries and, and lived out of a backpack for 10 or 15 years. I saw shit tons, you know, I went and saw lots of nooks and crannies of the world and had this wonderful wide breadth of experiences. Now I can come back and try and replicate this kind of thing in my own home turf. Now, if you haven't done that, then maybe my concept is flawed. So, you know, my advice for people that maybe haven't had that wonderful luxury of going and traveling the world is that, uh, well, maybe try and do it. And there's lots of great ways you can do that and you don't have to spend a lot of money and be overly educated or any of that. You just got to go and work and be good to people and good to yourself. And I, I don't know, but, but fundamentally deal, I have no idea why I don't mind 
some mundane things and to fill in the gaps with and take pleasure with domestic mm. tasks and I don't, I don't mind doing the dishes. You know, I I don't I don't want to earn more money so that I can pay someone to do my dishes. It's just not in my wheelhouse. I want to do my bloody dishes, man, because I I made them dirty, and I I, I think that's a really good life. But I'm not sure why I think that. Mm. I like that. Mm. Lastly, the who you are, the values you have, doesn't strike me as the typical person that would post on YouTube. Do you know what I mean? Like your videos are nearly everything against what is successful and that's why it's so cool that you've had a great success on YouTube. Well, like, I'm not yet and I've got a long way to go on okay. YouTube. So where's, where's, where, where are you on that then? Because my question was going to be yeah. how did you get so big and when did things change? Well, I'm just a piss ant on YouTube yet, but I, I want to explode it. I, I yeah. want to go – I mean, look at Casey, right? So he's – Casey Neistat, yeah, yeah, he's yep. he's probably thirteen or fourteen million subscribers now. He's top of the tree for someone who's creating short video content, story content. YouTube is still driven by how tos and music, so we're still the third, we're still the third rung on the ladder on YouTube in terms of why people go there for creative content. The reason I like YouTube, um, I, I certainly don't have any shares in in Google, but it's the the thing is, it's very inclusive. Um, an awful lot of the world now has smartphones. There's, I mean, what is it? Almost 8 billion people on the planet. I think there's 5 billion smartphones. So every time you release something, there's, there's a potential of 5 billion people watching your content. It's very attractive to me. And, and that's not my ego talking, but that's, that's my, that's my market. That's my instantaneous market. And if I'm any good at what I do, I could, I could tap into some of that. And so that's what I want to try and do. It's just it's it's probably a bit hierarchical. Mm. Maybe I'm suckered into the idea that I just want to get numbers and numbers and numbers. But at this stage too, I just want to earn money. I, I need to earn a wage. And, and so, is that through YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not earning anywhere near enough because mm. we haven't got the balance right. We're still paying our mates to come and shoot with us, and we need to pair back, and I need to write more. But it's coming. But it's not paying like a university job. Um, but yeah, so that's the challenge, mate. I just want to try and bust the algorithm and, mm. and just. And, and make it work for me and it's just not there yet. What are the goals? That, like do you know how to do that? Are you going to put anything in place? Because I think if anyone knew the algorithm, they'd do it. But it's- Well, it's tricky too. Like we don't put ads within our content. You we, don't? No. No, because we've, we've still got a bit of purist about us with yeah. film. In the, it's really lovely to watch a film. So where do you put the ads? Start in the end. Start in the end. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. And at the end, yeah, people aren't going to – yeah, they've, they've clicked off by then. So they really they get they get their eight seconds at the front and that's it. Yeah, wow. So, um, yeah, it doesn't earn us a lot of money, but we just want – we it, it wouldn't anyway, right? It might give us an extra 10 grand a year if we did that and so what. So keep it keep it pretty lean and mean and just make more content, make better content. But we'll start doing live shows now too, mate. Yeah. Which is so totally, how can we see them? Because you've got some in Victoria. Yeah, in, in so Australia, we hire out the, the Jindy Hall. So one, one and a half Ks up the road from me is an old town hall, a mm-hmm. uh, 120-year-old hall, and we hire it out and um, fit, fit 140 people in. We do Friday, Saturday shows every two months. And now we're going to do that in New Zealand uh, in August and then come back and do it in Oz. And next year we're, do, we're doing Europe and North America. Wow. So we're just going to go hire a whole bunch of halls and theatre spaces and just go and shoot films and show films. Um, how can people find that? On the website? It's not live yet. Uh, New Zealand will go live next week sometime. Yep. But, uh, yeah, secret screenings. Go go to Boisms or uh, bowmiles.com. It's all on there, mate. Yeah, yeah, we'll have the website in the show notes. So make sure you get to that show. I know we'll uh, 
We'd love you guys. Save three tickets. You got, you're we'll, only, we'll, yeah, we'll you're only an hour and a half. Yeah, please do. We'll uh, we'll make sure we get there. Do yep. a little road trip up. Be fantastic. Great. Incredible today. Honestly, I was excited for it, but I think um, it's going to be my one of my most enjoyable chats we've had. So I really appreciate it. You're welcome anytime. Um, we'll get you back and and tell some stories. But yeah, well, it's maybe awesome. we'll get you on a film. There's, I've got yes. a so, so there's a junk, I've got a junk series where I make stuff out of junk. Yeah, and it's kind of a pseudo series, but anything that's kind of comes from junkish stuff, I make a series out of, like a, a bottle of wine off the side of the road yes. or whatever. Well, I'm going to do a junk cricket where Mitch, who used to be a first class cricketer, uh, he's bowled for Australia and Pakistan and stuff, as in a, as a warm up bowler, mm. very fast. You know, 125 k's ish. I think he's sort of he's top speed, which for me would be holy shit, I'm not going to see the ball. I'm going to make all my cricket stuff from the bat to pads and everything out of junk. And maybe we could do something with footy. We have something like a junk Mate, footy something. Lock me in. Like that used to be used to be a pigskin, right? Yes. So maybe we make a football and then have a kick around. Love it. You ever made a football before? I haven't as yet. No, no neither have I. No, no. So I think we might have to make a footy and then we'll have a kick and we'll make a film out of it. Mate, I love it. I'm, I'm up for it. Um, I think for anything today, I just want to be doing more. And doing things that excite us. Um, I have a big thing. I don't know if you believe in this. And I don't know if I believe in it. It just it works. But I have this thing now where if I need something, I'm just go. I, I know I need it. I'm going to let it bring it to me. And today, I swear to God, last night I was thinking about something I really need. Not really need. But I was thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind this. I think this would be really good. I need it. And I was like, oh, should I put like an application out for it? And I'm like, no, nah, fuck it. It'll come. Today, something came. Like it's already presented itself. So I don't know if it's a power of the universe or more just being more present and identifying things that are around you that might have already been there. Yeah, well, that's what luck is, right? A lot of people. I'm very lucky. Yeah, well, no, not. I know. What you do yeah. is you just, you just you do a lot of things. Yeah. So by, you know, it's just, it's a ratio thing. So by you, you do 12 things and then luck comes to two of them. Mm. If you only did four things, then you're only going to get luck every fourth day. So it's just, it's just a, it's, it's a rational form of numbers. And that's what luck is. You just do a lot of stuff and things are going to fall in your lap because you've done a lot of stuff. Love it. Get you back, mate. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Um, Been great. And we'll have it, yeah, all your content in there, mate. So if anyone's listening, please jump on, get there. And um, I can't wait to see what you do in the next 12 months. And, and I can't wait to that. make football with you. That's yeah, no, yeah, I can't I wait for that, that That's a bloody good yeah. idea. We're going to yeah. do it out of a bladder <laughs> of some sort of animal. <laughs> Love it. Thanks so much, mate. Thanks, Dylan. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another Producey podcast. If you enjoyed the show, that'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, subscribe, tap the bell, leave a review, or even share with one of your friends, or you could do them all. If you want to get in touch to share feedback, suggest a guest, or advertise with one of our podcasts, then email hello at producer.com. Thanks for tuning in. Illy XX. <laughs> <laughs>